Correct Optimism Vaccine. I'm Steve, and with me today, it's Adam Myros. Hello, Myros, Steve. What yes, would you Steve. describe as your Nile, your Ganges, your Jordan, your Fountain of Youth, your second baptism? Uh, I don't know, Steve. That That's a pretty loaded question. I mean, I haven't <laughs> been that introspective as of late. You really? You, you didn't think about that when we were watching one of the movies we uh, we watched this week? No, I didn't. Uh, I, I did not consider that. I, wow. I, I would say that uh, it, it probably differs slightly from, from uh, the character in the film. Yeah, maybe maybe a little bit. Uh, Jack, how about you? Uh, top five body fluids? Tom, yeah, well, there's at least five of them to choose from, and I think we, we cover mm-hmm. more of them here than we typically do. It's good spread on, on this one. It's a good spread. Good spread. Yeah, I, I think we, we get most of the big ones. Most of the heavy hitters are involved here. And then we, we you know, have a few of the non-body fluids as well. A little bit of whole milk coming into play this week. So nothing but great stuff. And dicks of every shape and size and animal. <laughs> what a time to be alive. Thanks, Adam. So it, hey, th- no, this <laughs> one's not my fault. We're thanking our patron, Evan. Yeah. Evan, thank you, Evan. Uh, Evan, the man who excited Adam Myros uh, to a feverish sexual degree that we've decided to dedicate an entire month to uh, the the horny pleasures of cinema. That's right. Adam expanded, so I'm blaming Adam for all subsequent episodes. This one, okay, you get freebie for Adam here. Yeah, Yeah, but I mean, this is is proof positive that for $25, you, you can get anything. Anything you want, truly. And I, I am glad because I've been banging the porno drum for a long time. I've been trying to uh, upset and disgust Adam Myros in any way, shape, or form. And I think this is contributing to that. So God bless Evan. You think now, I'm upset by pornography, Steve, really? <laughs> <laughs> no, specifically uh, the Japanese variety. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know. I was just surprised by, uh, by this one. I'll say that. This is, I think surprise I, is the least of where we're going with, with most of these. <laughs> yeah, I guess I, I was a little bit surprised by some of the things we watched this week, but I, I feel like I should have been better prepared going in. Like, I kind of knew what I was getting into, and then I got into it. And I was like, oh, wow, that's, that's a little different than I expected. Uh, di- didn't expect a few things that I saw. But what yeah, I really want to yeah. know, Myros, is you've decreed that we're doing a whole themed month around your own uh vile perversions sure so are we what what are we naming it i don't think we've decided on the naming convention here is i it, don't know it's still up in the air we've got the, the three you, you could go uh, horny of plenty you could go uh-huh. uh horn of horny or you could go uh hornocopia hornocopia okay which was sean's suggestion and uh, i don't know maybe okay. too subtle i'm not sure how about we just can we just call it jizz month yeah, Jizz Month. Jizz I mean, member. just let's I'm go for sure it. I'm not sure if that's really a Thanksgiving theme, Jack. I know this is not a native holiday for you. I'm I'm banging the table here. Jizz Month. Jizz Month. Jizz Month. <laughs> I like Jizz Month. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll we'll put it in a poll on Twitter or something. Do you want any of the uh, fun plays on words that Myros and Sean have come up with, or do you just want Jizz Month? You know, it's who knows. Uh what? Hey, we're gonna start with. Truly, one of the classics of softcore, hardcore, all the cores, 
And we're, we're talking Emmanuel. I, and I, I don't think we've done a single Emmanuel movie in the history of optimism vaccine, which is weird because as far as I can tell, this is like the most widespread, long running fucking series imaginable. Like this yeah, is not a rival it was like even James like, Bond. Yeah, this <laughs> shit was on Cinemax uh, back in uh, in my youth. It's I mean, incredible. Very different from this. Yeah, it's incredible. <laughs> we've skipped over all of the like classic Emmanuel films, but we have somehow first landed on this one specifically, and secondly, got to Bolero first. So well done, <laughs> us. Yeah, because there was a time when I think people felt like they had to justify their porno. You know. In, in maybe in a in a pre deep throat world, but even following that, like there was this higher class of pornography where it was porn, but you had to have like a real story that continued through the entire thing, and then you had to you know jet set off to exotic locales and and really make something of it. You couldn't just fuck to fuck. You had to have a reason to fuck. And the good thing about Emmanuel is, you know. Maybe she needs a reason to fuck, but she'll find any reason to do it. Uh, <laughs> truly, what kind of problem are you facing in your life? Big or small? I've got a hangnail. I'll fuck until it fixes itself. Uh, I need to stop a uh, human trafficking ring. I'm gonna fuck until I figure it out. There's all kinds of solutions to be found here. And I, I couldn't even begin to cover the history of this series. Uh, there's, there's also variations where we've got Emmanuel with like one M and then there's Emmanuel with, with like two M's. And those are different things because there's, there's the black Emmanuel and there's the white Emmanuel. And sometimes there's both of them at the same time. There's like famous raised pizza. Mm hmm. Yeah, truly. There's, <laughs> there's no way to discern who the, uh, who the real Emmanuel is, but these, they're still like making this shit. Like it just keeps going. Uh, which is absolutely wild to me. But I think uh, from the vast Emmanuel pool, the one that we're focused on here is the one, uh, I, Laura Gemser, is, is that how you say her name, Jack? I, I could be wrong I, So far as I know, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's not her birth name, but yeah, Gemser okay. seems, seems, seems fair Gemser, to me. Gemser, Gemser, whatever. Yeah, Laura Gemser. Teen listeners will recognize from uh, Ator as well as Quest for the Mighty Sword. Sure, and, and a, various yes, other... Roles. Yeah, Joe D'Amato pornos. Like I think she's in Porno Holocaust and uh, Erotic Nights of the Living Dead. Maybe one of those. Yeah, both yeah. Of those. She, she shows up and yeah. famously I, does not do porn necessarily. She'll get naked or no. whatever. It's fine, but she she is yeah. not involved in any of the hardcore elements. Despite apparently Joe D'Amato continually pleading with her, and she was like, "No, just buy me a ticket to a fantastic location. I'll get Which naked. Amazing, I'll walk everywhere." Right? But that's all. Yeah, it's like people can like grind weirdly on me and, you know, rub my areolas, but there will be no penetration with me, Joe D'Amato. And they have this working relationship for like 10 fucking years. And he's just like, oh, please, uh, let me put a dick in your butt. And she's like, no, I'm not doing that. So good on her for staying it up to old Uncle Joe. And then, and then ironically, for someone who spends probably 70 to 85% of every single movie she's in completely naked, she moved into costume design. Huh. Did not see that coming. That's amazing. Good trivia. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, she, the, uh, the Emmanuel character that she plays is uh, a photojournalist. And like any great photographer slash journalist, uh, yeah, she just 
has what seems like endless amounts of money. She's either taking pictures of beautiful naked women or having uh, hot sex with anyone she encounters, and she gets to go all over the place. And, and amazing the quality of photos she can get out of that, like, pinhole camera. <laughs> absolutely amazing, because this is her secret agent trick, is she's got this little, like, gold necklace, and it takes uh, amazing photos that she uses to, I don't know, shine a light on corrupt whatever the fuck is going on. Uh, I guess in this movie, it's like a senator and some some wealthy aristocrats who are peddling snuff films. It's a little bit of everything in this movie. It's yeah, a little I bit mean, of everything. I mean, yeah, yeah it kind of reminds me of um, uh, oh, well, Barbarella. It's uh, you know, it's, I kind of like this movie, frankly. And I was I was losing me a little bit, but towards the back end, as we'll discuss, it kind of like it, it shifts things up oh, radically. Yeah, it sure does. Uh, yeah, yeah. But certainly, certainly a twist by any metric. But uh, yeah, no, it's got this weird kind of like fun travelogue element to it. And like Barbarella, it's like it's clearly. Like a little, it's a little bit sleazy and fetishistic and everything, but it's also like I don't. She's she's having fun. She's enjoying it. It's it's for her pleasure. And, yeah, you know this. This it's kind of it's. Uh, I mean, it's better than one at least one of the other movies we're getting into tonight. If for from the female perspective, sure, uh, sure. Yeah. It's like an Italian Anthony Bourdain porno. You know, as a travelogue, <laughs> it it works pretty well and it looks fucking amazing. Oh, I mean, that's I, a Joe special. Yeah, right? I, and, and, of course, like, he's shooting... It's called Emmanuel in America, but spoiler alert, she doesn't spend very much fucking time in America. No, she's like no. She's in New York for all of ten minutes of this fucking thing. Uh, most of the time, she spends in, like, Venice, and then she's there's a brothel she's in, and then some other place, but most of this is in Italy. But just looking at Venice, it, it, it's just gorgeous. I mean, you go it's there, also it's in Africa. Gorgeous. Don't forget Africa. Yeah. Oh, Africa deep. as well. Yeah, briefly at Africa for Which the I'm sure they, they shot that deep in the heart of Africa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> deep in the heart of Sicily. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it, this movie looks amazing. The soundtrack is insane. It's, it's fucking incredible. This I Nico would buy Fidenko this soundtrack is fucking amazing. Yeah. yeah, it's so fucking good. Uh, I love that truly, his credits are truly like he, he is an incredibly prolific composer, and it's like it's just this wonderful mix of like hardcore porn and other regular movies. Like he no problem doing both. Just yeah, show up, put it out, whatever, whatever you need. But truly, they they do not make them like this anymore. Like you you don't get this kind of lush photography and uh, just fucking cool outfits when you know when they're on and. Yeah. <laughs> Just great music. It, it really is like if if it wasn't basically a porno for seventy percent of the runtime, you could just like throw this on in the background somewhere at a fucking party, and it'd just be like, oh, what is this? This is extremely interesting. It's but it's wild because yeah, it's it's just this one part travelogue secret agent movie, and then all of a sudden it's just like boom, that's that's hardcore sex, uh, and, and beyond, <laughs> and beyond. And it, it gets into some weird things, and it doesn't really ease you into it. Uh, no, early, I got to imagine this must have been quite the uh, unpopular film for the uh, the gentleman who just was seeking out that sort of uh, classy pornography. Had yeah, a nice yeah. To the adult I mean, on theater. two counts, because I mean, the first half of it is softcore, pretty much nothing. I mean, the only dick you see in the first half is a horse, which is not mm -hmm. probably what most people were signing up for. I guess no one person probably. <laughs> this is amazing. What a discovery for that guy. But for the for most everyone else, probably 
uh, could we maybe keep moving on to something a little better? Yeah, yeah. This seems like it's it's. I mean, it's smut, but it it tries to have this air of like sophistication to it, and it pulls it off for the most part, uh, oddly enough. But then, yeah, even though this is more for the like fancy mustache and overcoat and a cigarette holder crowd of of pornography, uh, when a woman starts jacking off a fucking horse for five minutes, you gotta wonder. <laughs> Yeah, and you would be right to wonder, because <laughs> then it devolves into our lead being fed like a zombie paralytic and forced to watch a, a woman's breast sliced off and being bailed vaginally on a meat hook. Christ almighty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there's a whole snuff film element, which, yeah, it's... Oh, it's, it's the film within the film. It's very meta here. Emmanuel in America. I mean, it is meta. We we end with it's basically taste of cherry at the ending. Yeah, uh, but we see many other cherries along the way, I suppose. Uh huh. Yeah. I. I mean, I have. I have always said, you know, this is this is spaghetti kirastami. That's that's what this is. <laughs> that's. I mean, D'Amato kirastami. This fine. What's, what's the fine spider webs linking their works. Uh yeah. It's it's kind of bizarre because it does have all these meta elements, and and this is like. I guess what the plot eventually gets to is she's trying to infiltrate this ring of aristocrats who are, uh, I, I don't, I guess they're making the snuff, but also mostly they're just into projecting it in 16 millimeter or eight millimeter and fucking. And to they're it like, yeah, they're the like emotionally dead. Like it's, it's, it seems like they're so bored because they're so powerful that that snuff movies are the uh -huh. logical conclusion and even that might not be enough it's it's like it's a really odd film because i i'm not sure it's loaded with these things but i'm not sure you could really build any kind of a cogent commentary or critique or aim at anyone or anything in particular and it's really breezy for large sections of it and the end she uncovers yeah a snuff movie ring that the um, u.s senator is part of and they're like murdering women in like south america or something to to make these movies and it's really gnarly footage uh like genuinely like i mean this is what three years before cannibal holocaust um, yeah, and yeah. honestly, probably, frankly, better quality of emulation of that kind of footage. It's really, it looks a little a worryingly good at times. But um, yeah. the, the film has this kind of element of like breezy sexuality and then it escalates into hardcore and it becomes a little bit more frantic and, and strange. But still, I mean, a lot of the, the, the hardcore elements are in like this weird tourism resort for women who go there to have toy boys, you know, that they mess around with. There's still this kind of like feminine, feminine viewpoint to a kind of, although, I mean, it's still, it's still very much geared to straight men, the pornographic relations here. Like, we're not going to kid ourselves and claim that Joe D'Amato was really turning the tables and anything here. But then the snuff film element really feels like, a, like, is it talking about us as voyeurs? Like, is, is there... Is that the element? And I mean, we, we do, you know, the film does end with basically like it's Hodorowski's The Holy Mountain. It's literally like they pull the camera out and it's like, hey, it's a movie. And that's and you're just left sitting there going like, right. But what the fuck kind of movie is it? I've never I don't <laughs> yeah. understand. And, and, well, and the, the whole end of it is is wild, too, because you think it's over. And then they're like, no, we're going to, because Emmanuel's just like, oh, no, I can't be a sexy photojournalist anymore. It's just too much. Like, okay, let's go to Africa. Like, okay, let's go to Africa. And he's like, I've sold you to an African chieftain for beans, and now you have to be his wife. 
<laughs> just when you're like catching up with that, it's like, no, just kidding. It's a movie. Bye. And then credits roll. I mean, like, it, is, it is a powerful, what? like the construction of it lies somewhere for me between, you know, Joe D'Amato making so many movies that he's bored formally and it, and it opens up like, like Jesus Franco. It, it opens up this kind of like experimental kind of vein in that you just make so many movies so quickly that they start bleeding together that you start like you don't focus on the nuts and bolts of the movie because they're kind of you're you're bored with those it starts to become this weird miasma of like intertextual cinema i feel like emmanuel in america is like somewhere between that and also somewhere between we have like three days to wrap this up let's fucking do it like it's it's really hard to tell where necessity and damato maybe and amusing himself where those actually inter kind of interlink but um the the end result i mean like i said i was losing my my interest in this movie a little bit towards the middle as we got into like the 18th softcore orgy or whatever you know and then mm-hmm. it kind of flipped things a little bit and it's like okay um i still don't exactly know why we're doing all this and then by the end of it it kind of like was okay like there's a real there's a real sense of having traveled through something here it's it's kind of like it's it's really an interesting kind of a movie uh, and yeah. what what it tells us or what we might learn from it i'm not entirely sure about but i mean i i think this is going to stick in my memory a lot more than probably 95 percent of the other emmanuel movies which are just the first half of this movie over and over mm-hmm. and over again yeah I yeah, mean, really, I, it's, it's Joe D'Amato engaging with the apparatus, you know, he's, he's here to smash uh, the, the natural order of things, and uh, he, he needs his uh, audience of people jerking off to realize uh, the effect that cinema is having on, on their acceptance of societal norms. You know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, essentially, this is somewhat like, uh, God, what's, what's the watermelon Chai Ming Liang film uh, that the name escapes me? It's the, the, the cloud movie, Wandering Cloud. You know, it's the same thing, you know, it's just, it's just a man endlessly thrusting. It's just, you know, porn, just as this, like, mechanical reproduction system. But uh, it's Joe D'Amato doing it, so it's just mm-hmm. really, really fucking weird. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm just yeah. mad that, like, Joe D'Amato died before I got to hang out with him, you know? Like, I, I would have loved to travel with Uncle Joe. People, uh, what, people what, love. What are we gonna do? People love like the the um the Henry Jaglum talking with Orson Welles. You know, my lunch with Orson Welles, and like Orson Welles just shit talking people. But I I reckon, mm-hmm. God, a lunch with Joe D'Amato. I reckon he would shit talk yeah. anyone, and he you know he probably I'd say he wouldn't hold back, especially in the latter years. I reckon he'd probably dirt on everyone. Oh sure, no, he would shit talk everyone, and then he would make you pay the bill. Oh, he um, would leave. You'd dine and dash. Probably, he wouldn't tell you. Be like, I didn't go to the bathroom. Yeah. You would never see him again. Well, we were, we were talking about the uh, there's this is like a little trivia thing that's been floating around on the internet for God knows how long, but it, it's that oh, David Cronenberg saw Emmanuel in America and was inspired to make Videodrome because of the snuff footage in, in Emmanuel in America, and. I he allegedly said this in an interview, and the fact that he said it in an interview is referenced, but I can't find the original interview. Now, I only spent like an hour looking for this thing, but so maybe I didn't dig deep enough. It could be out there. Uh, but either way, someone actually came back to Joe D'Amato at one point. I found this interview, and they said, Hey, Joe D'Amato, David Cronenberg said he was inspired by Emmanuel in America, the stuff footage, to make Videodrome. What do you think of that? And Joe D'Amato's response was, that's great. He should pay me. 
<laughs> that's a classic director response. It's like Chantal Ackerman on Facebook, you know, when people are like, oh, I really love your movies. It's like, great, give me money. Like, it's, yeah, exactly. It's what it's all it's about. Stuff. I, I would have yeah, I, I would have also been surprised if he said, hey, Joe D'Amato, David Cronenberg, like, saw one of your movies and he was really surprised. You know, saw Emmanuel in America and inspired him to make Videodrome. And Joe D'Amato said, sorry, which movie is that? Because <laughs> I don't know if Joe D'Amato could even remember all the movies he shot in the 70s. It's probably true. Uh, but yeah, I would love to h hang out with Uncle Joe. You know, maybe we could go to his friend's uh, weird ranch where he's got a, a woman for each zodiac sign and a and a big fun horse and then we could go to his venetian birthday party where nude women pop out of cakes and then spontaneously the entire room erupts into an orgy it, there's all kinds of fun to be had with uncle joe yeah joe was not content with the popping out of the cake gag he also had to smear <laughs> with icing and in, in the most yeah. obscene way possible uh, also, like weird. I, I love the way Joe D'Amato just shoots shit because I never know. I, I mean, it always looks great, but I never know if oh, it, it does just not always look great. It, always, it looks pretty fucking great. Oh, yeah. Quest for the movie. Mighty Sword is a fucking beaut. <laughs> <laughs> we don't count that one. Uh, but think, think of it this way Quest for the Mighty Sword, maybe not the best looking movie, but if someone other than Joe D'Amato shot it, how much worse would it have looked? Think of it that way. It's um, fair, but, but Joe D'Amato varies uh, wildly. This Watching this sort of movie, I'm like, ah, oh, fuck. The guy should have not been making horror movies. Like, you could tell he gave much more of a shit about this. I just, like, I cannot believe the, the whole pool scene when Joe D'Amato's, like, in fucking scuba gear just banging his camera lens into labias left and right. It is the wildest shit. Mm -hmm. um, nobody nobody shoots the, the female form quite like Joe D'Amato. And in case you think that Joe D'Amato is, uh, you know, a sexist, objectifying pig of a man, just remember uh, this movie was allegedly written by a woman. So, which also, I, it's Maria something or other, which could just could be a Joe D'Amato pseudonym. I mean, we all could we all could plainly see that this is a female liberation text. I mean, uh, yeah. what are you going to criticize old Joe for? Come on. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a good question. I mean, yeah, Maria Piafusco is, uh, has, I mean, she has 11 other writing credits and a composer credit. Ooh, and, are they uh, all Joe D'Amato films? Oh my, you know what? <laughs> trivia, trivia claims she's a journalist screenwriter, so this is, oh, is this, she's writing what story. she knew, you know, about, mm -hmm. about in journalism and investigative journalism and uh, taking photos of people fucking all around the world. Yeah, that's what they do. That is what journalists are all about. I, well, can, I can verify that they are not, in fact, all Joe D'Amato films, so it's probably not a pseudonym. Okay. Well, <laughs> glad we clarified that. I, I guess we should jump now from <laughs> beautiful uh, Italy slash Africa slash New York all the way over. We're jet setting to beautiful Japan, and this is where we get a pretty notorious film. Beautiful Girl Hunter. Uh, well, I'm sorry. Star of David, colon, Beautiful Girl Hunter. I don't even know if and, that's right. I think it's Star of David, colon, Hunting for Beautiful Girls. <laughs> and now in modern release, it is called Beautiful Girl Hunter. A lot of, lot of And there is, in fact, a but... title sequence within the film that would have you believe that it is called Degeneration. <laughs> yes. And, well, and Star of David, it is, this is a, a Pinku film, which is, uh, you know, Japanese porn basically uh of a certain era but you know a name like this 
here I thought we were going to be watching one of the the grand classics of of Jewish American cinema. Uh, it is Star of David is not it's not really a, a Jewish movie, I would say. No, no, I mean, I think so I think it's brave of us, uh, or maybe not brave, perhaps just typical of where optimism vaccine <laughs> just ends up that in current world events, as they are occurring right now, unfolding in, in Israel and Palestine, that we somehow managed to really watch a movie that is basically anti-Semitic, but not like not in a like a purposefully direct way, more in a kind of an omission kind of a way, because it keeps invoking yeah. the star of David, but basically as a. A, a marking of an inferior people that were wiped out by a more aggressive people, which is shitty. Um, and that's and that's the movie. But of course, I mean, the movie is not concerned really with World War Two. It's concerned with contemporary Japan, and it's not nice in its vision of contemporary Japan, as you might expect from those reference points, because it's basically Japan is a nation steeped in violence and perversity. And it always will be, and it's probably unsalvageable, I think, is is basically the theme here. Yeah. Uh, which is our way of saying our patron paid us $25, and we watched a movie where uh, a guy just busts a big fucking cum shot all over a picture of a concentration camp. So, yeah. uh, Myros, you mentioned this was your favorite movie that we watched this week? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, it was. I mean... <laughs> Uh, it just reaffirmed all my uh, deep held beliefs about Japan. Uh, <laughs> also, I, I just, you know, it's part of our ongoing uh, quest to solve the crisis in the Middle East. Uh, you know, uh -huh. we just have to examine every angle. Every angle. Please, please continue, Adam. I, I would love to learn more of this ongoing project we apparently have. <laughs> yeah, We'll learn more as the month goes on, Jack. Trust me. Uh, Sounds yeah, like so a this threat. Is, <laughs> this is pretty wild because it's definitely a film with a reputation, but it's it's deeply fucking political too. Like it, it's it as gross and aggressive it is with its uh, degenerate displays. It it really is like it's very upfront about its politics and uh, sort of the way that contemporary, well, at the time, contemporary Japan had had inherited the uh the the trauma and the i guess the disinterest of the previous generation like the previous generation just like now nah, we're not gonna deal with our shit so uh i guess it's on you guys and then they were like okay cool so we're gonna make these weird pornos about it and uh that's that's how they're kind of getting through things yeah <laughs> it's it's a strange movie because it is impossible to parse this movie without politics i mean it is an explicitly political text but it's also like uh, it's kind of throwing a lot of stuff at the wall here because it's it's also i think it's invoking i think some kind of like japanese history of violence of japan as kind of a a, a violent project in and of itself but then there's also the main character is so far as i can tell is catholic there's like these kind of and he plays tennis there's, there's this fantastic cut in it where he's whipping a woman and then it cuts to him swinging a tennis racket playing a game. And it's just like, yeah, there's, there's an inference there of, you know, uh, Western corruption as well. Um, I'm not 100% sure what the overall kind of read on it is, other than that I can tell it's, it's pretty scathing in its vision of Japan as a nation, certainly. But it is really bizarre that these kind of movies 
not only that they existed, but I mean, this is a studio film. Like this is uh, this is Nikatsu, who I think ultimately produces as a string of when they decided sometime in the 1970s to just go like, hi, we're one of Japan's oldest film studios. We're just going to start making exclusively softcore pornography now and releasing it in cinema every single week, uh, which is just absolutely bonkers i don't think there is a precedent for this or like i don't think there's an equivalent for this anywhere else in the world that i'm aware of no, no one else has ever done this and it produces range of films that are really strange because i think i because honestly i feel like since they were on such tight production budgets it really was like as long as you have naked women in it we don't give a shit what else you do and it kind of just opened up this like this movie which is like this arch political rape thriller that's mm -hmm. about the nation the state of the nation um, well, and, yeah and if you were to like i guess the, the nuts and bolts of the story here are there's this kid and his mother is uh raped in front of his father by uh this like serial rapist criminal sadistic nut job and then he's raised even though he is the child of the rapist he's raised by his parents but he knows this to be true uh, and and then it gets and then he basically becomes an even worse version of the yeah, man. Because his father hates him because he's not his real son. He's the son of the rapist, and this hardens yeah. and reinforces him to adhere closer to the legacy of his birth father to become essentially a figure of vengeance against women and his yeah. father. So you have this like insane, horrific depravity that's inherited. But then also he he's able to like smooth off the rough edges of his father, who's, who's more animalistic and become this aristocratic uh, rapist psychopath who is somehow even worse than his father was. And then that is equated with the same like nationalistic evil that created the Holocaust, basically. I guess that's the through line. Uh, but. Yeah, I I don't know. It it is. It's it's wild. Just the insane political shit that's going on here. But then the actual like torture and and sexual degradation is uh yeah. It's it's pretty repellent stuff. <laughs> it is unpleasant, but it's shot beautifully. I mean, it, it, it is like, it looks like gorgeous. These, yeah, these Japanese <laughs> films again of this era are like they're all in wonderful scope cinematography stylish lighting theatrical kind of this high theatrical mm -hmm. kind of like production values they're very you know kind of like um what is it like very artificial looking not naturalistic at all but they have this wonderful kind of like uh, almost comic book sensibility often this energy to the camera movements the compositions are like the dynamic and, and layered it, you know it's like this is it's a film made by a, a talented really like excellent filmmaker and so many of these films were it's just like nowhere else in the world like frankly not even i think in italy with people like joe d'amato did like craftsmen and support levels like studio support levels like this ever give this much resource to pornography it's it's unheard of yeah and the other thing that's super compelling and I don't know. It adds another layer to this because it is. It's like re relentless, repellent sleaze. But also, there's certain things that you can't show. So the way that they like, they're just like zooming the camera in on a woman's like panties while her legs are fucking spread, but they can't show her vagina. And then 
this this guy they can't show his dicks so you see the like every time there's a, a close-up on a blowjob it's just like the woman's hands around a not penis like a very small nothing. penis it's, it's it's a very strange thing to watch and it, it makes the whole thing even more theatrical and bizarre but it's I, I don't know it's if it sounds like the most horrific shit humanly possible yes if it sounds like something that that 99.9% of the universe should not engage with the answer is yes but also it's pretty fucking good i yeah yeah <laughs> i can it, die with it i, I it falls kind of in line with the the sort of uh boarn vibenius uh, pod we did a while back where this is not empty calories this is a lot going on here that is really dealing with a lot of the same uh, sort of omnipresent cultural issues in japan at the time as you know someone like kurosawa would with i live in fear or, or something like that like it's just so steeped in in generational trauma and sort of inheritance but there, there's a there's a strict conflict in in that country post-world war ii between you know the americanized occupants of the country who are, are essentially thrusting this uh, rapid cultural and economic evolution toward uh, western capital um at just a pace that's that's nothing like what anywhere on anywhere else in the world has ever seen outside of uh, later korea but it, it causes this sort of absolute rupture between the old generation and the young generation and this is uh yeah loaded with that that content beyond is this kind of like this man utterly rebuking his own life in service of his father's essentially he's going to He's going to relive his father's crimes and, you know, it even goes so far as to like one of his victims is a, a high school girl. Who he basically just indoctrinates into his own fucking sickness. And it, it's just, yeah, it's, it's a loaded film. There's a, a hell of a lot going on here. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't think most people can stomach it, but, uh, if you're game, uh, it's, it's definitely a really interesting piece of uh, film. Mm -hmm. yeah, I think if you, I, if you get into Japanese cinema at any point, at a certain point, you have to, you're going to just run into the, the issue of that in Japan, sex and sexual mechanics are very politicized in their films. And, and it's, it's just something that it reoccurs. I mean, sex and rape particularly are just like recurring elements in their films that have very strong political engagements. Um, and this is really just, this is that dialed to 11. This is a deeply unpleasant film that's really charting, uh, I guess for the director and, and writers, uh, you know, a deeply unpleasant topic of, of their own country essentially becoming a kind of violent, lecherous freak. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I which also... is just so pervasive at the time, you know, in, in all Japanese cinema, it feels like, especially that... That has uh, persevered to this age, you know, from their horror films all the way through to their art films. It's just like such a pervasive sentiment. Uh, there, there was just such this idea of finality and, yeah, degeneration, as this film should be called. <laughs> <laughs> no, why, why would you call it degeneration? Here. You can call it Beautiful Girl Hunter. That's more fun. He's more Collins, Steve. Yeah. Uh, I, now, this is a a largely humorless film and is meant to, you know, uh, shock and upset audiences, which I think it, it does swimmingly. But I gotta say, the way that 
the the police are handled in this movie is kind of fucking hilarious because there's probably just like four throwaway scenes in the entire movie that don't last longer than 30 seconds. They just cut over to the cops and they're, you know, they're investigating these bodies that have been dumped and they're like, yep, sure looks like another sex crime. And then there's nothing, yeah, what I, nothing what I like, at all. What I like about it is that in a country that basically produced, like I would say, one studio produced pretty much nothing but like kind of rapey softcore pornography for several years. I think it's just really funny. The police are like, oh, a woman has been raped. We Well, we know it's that one guy. He's he's the rapist in the country. And it's like, yep, that's, that's the guy. <laughs> wow. OK, well, it's credible. We've, we've narrowed it down, but they can't find that one dude. That must have really really suck for the cops. Yeah. Real bummer. Uh, well, I, I don't know if there's much else to say about this one, but um, I don't know. If, if you're listening to this episode and you're just kind of nodding along, yeah, it, maybe you are the depraved, sick fuck who should be watching this. There's, it's not like it's, like Myra said, it's not fucking empty calories, but it's not something that you're going to want to sit down with the family after Thanksgiving dinner and, and probably watch this one. No, certainly not. But uh, I mean, if if a family uh, was forced to either sit through this or Emmanuel in America, I think you'd you'd be better served to go with this. There's a uh, much less graphic. Yeah, I, yeah, got, I, I gotta admit, uh, kind of amazing. Watched this one first and was like, well, I mean, honestly, and then the first half of Emmanuel in America, which is pretty much just you know standard softcore, and I'm like, man. Wow, it's 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 rare in a lineup that Joe D'Amato is gonna come up second for for sleaziness to someone else. Like this movie's Star David's off the charts. And no, I think he this off movie footage. I think D'Amato pulled it out in the end. He really <laughs> he really won. Um, so well, the tip of the hat to to Uncle yeah. Joe. Uh, and you know what? It's strange because we've got a weird loser in the pervert Olympics this week. It's uh, Robin Polanski. <laughs> Who would have thought? <laughs> yeah the the tamest of the three uh but yeah polanski's bitter moon from 1992 this is not uh the the prime polanski period if you will 90s were not kind to mr polanski i don't think as far as like uh big blockbusters go. i can't like, what imagine was what was holding him back yeah hard to say hard to say uh <laughs> but Anyways, uh, Roman Polanski, now this, this sounds like a bit of a stretch for the man, so follow me here. He's made a movie about a guy, an older guy, who moves to France and is kind of a piece of shit to women, and he starts dating a much younger woman that he has a really fucked up relationship with, right? Like, huge, huge stretch for this guy, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, starring uh, his wife. Yeah, uh, starring his his actual wife, yeah. who was how old? Twenty twenty three, I believe. When when they married, which would have been three years prior to this, so she's like twenty six or so here. Twenty six, and he was what one hundred and ten? Yeah, yeah, approximately. <laughs> yeah, roughly. Okay, great, great. Yeah, no, that that makes perfect sense. But it's the classic tale of a uh, a failed writer who is an abusive piece of shit, and his wife who hates him but can't live without him and also wants to fuck Hugh Grant. And you know, the the idea of Hugh Grant as this caricature of what it means to be British has never been more on display than it is in Bitter Moon. Like this is he is the most British man here. 
Every like him, it just he doesn't even have to be talking. He looks like he's about to apologize for something. It, it's fucking awful and yeah. amazing because he plays the biggest soft boy cuck of all time and perfect in this movie. It, it is difficult at a certain point in, in Bitter Moon to determine, is this a movie about these specific characters, you know, and their hangups? Or is this just a movie about how uh, the French and the British are like just specifically different kinds of mutants? And Americans, too, frankly, because it's not like Peter Coyote's character is coming out of this looking like a chill dude by any stretch. <laughs> um, it's, it's pretty much, yeah, it's just a movie about degenerate freaks. It's, it's who's afraid of Virginia Woolf, but amped up for the 90s art house crowd. Um, yeah, yeah. And yeah, you know, who, who better to make that than Roman Polanski? Mm-hmm. What, and I said offline, too, that Polanski should have croaked right after he made this movie, because then he would have had this nice bookend of, uh, wacky love triangles on the high seas movies, just kind of, you know, nice, neat end to his filmography, but it didn't happen. Uh, I fucking love this movie. It is absolutely hilarious. I want to watch this on a loop. It's Peter Coyote's performance it is incredible. Uh, I love the Polanski cast his wife because I cannot think of anyone else being able to play this role or wanting to play this role. And actually following through with it and, and giving a performance as strong as she did. It's goddamn amazing. And the fact that it was poo-pooed at the time because it was just too, like, graphic and sexually charged. And, no, oh, Robert Polanski made this, this deviant sexual movie. It's like, I don't know. Maybe it's the, uh, the Joe D'Amato rot in my head right now. But this seems pretty tame by comparison. I think it's dated in a, in a specific way. Like, I mean, I, I, I think it is interesting how sex has moved in the last 30 years to the fact that that yes this was very edgy it feels very like edgy art house european cinema of the time the kind of thing that made you know americans blush you know and talk about you know the whether or not it should even be allowed in cinemas and so on and now we the sexual content of this frankly i i think t like popular tv shows have stronger sexual hang-up elements than this you know, yeah. like say, and because sex has moved to TV for some goddamn reason, I don't know why that happened, but that was that's kind of what, kind of where we're going. And it's, I, you know, I I struggle with this one a little bit because I I agree. I think it's a really really funny film. I think it's often riotously funny, um, but it also does feel strangely dated to me in its kind of worldview of like it, it really is. Who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? I think you know, kind of a parasocial relationship in this dysfunctional couple that like to pollute other couples um you know like i'm not sure it has anything particularly new to say on that but no. it just kind of runs runs the gamut but i mean you know roman polanski's a piece of shit but it, a boy can make yeah. a movie he's he has a great sense of humor there's a scene here where peter coyote gets a blowjob and as he's leaning back the toast pops out of the toaster and it's just i mean <laughs> classic you you can't you can't not like that there's there's really there's some incredible moments in this. Uh, another Peter Coyote blowjob scene in this. He's getting blown by the neighbor who has like a, a poodle. And then uh, as he climaxes, he like grabs the poodle. It's just like, Wah! and then moments later, we find out that, you know, after he he dumps his French girlfriend and she's all distraught, uh, she comes back and is like, oh, I'll do anything for you. And he treats her like shit. And at one point she cuts her hair really short and they're at a party. And there's a, this great callback, and he's like, you look like the poodle from the lady upstairs. It's uh, just, just a master of cinema at work. A huge piece of shit, but, you know, uh, 
write what you know, I guess, with Roman Polanski. And I, God, the, the whole Peter Coyote character is fucking amazing. Like, is, and, and just the way that he interacts with Hugh Grant, because Hugh Grant is just this overwhelming, or he's, he's this overwhelmed British pile of goo, right? And there is nothing better than watching uh, a failed writer American just demand that someone sit with him while he gets drunk and tells you this fucking insane story. And really, Hugh Grant is just too polite to leave. And that's what makes it amazing. <laughs> um, and, and to the point where he's like describing this stuff and he's like, uh, you know, he's like, oh, and then she she went over to the television and pissed on it. And then I laid underneath her and it cascaded down upon me. And it's just this overly verbose nonsense. Yeah, it's a genius, oh, genius God. shortcut in in a movie. And I, this is something I'm going to take, uh, Adam. I mean, you're you're doing script writing. This this is a yeah. an, a fantastic take some key. Who's who's a person, a character to put in a movie, a bad writer. Because, or just, you know what, just a writer. Because if you write the writer well, the audience will interpolate when they deliver wonderful soaring speeches and you're really won over by it. You think, oh, yes, he's a writer. Wonderful. He's the command of the language. Uh, and if they don't, if you write really tin-eared, stupid dialogue, then they're like, oh, this dude's a bad writer. He's so full of himself. And it's, it's brilliant. It doesn't work for you. There's one point in this where Peter Coyote's character uh, says, when he first meets his, his love, that we just lived on love and stale croissants. And it's this, like, beautifully shitty line of dialogue you could imagine from a terrible, like, college essay or something. Oh, um, it's so I, good. It's like a 19-year-old who just read a Bukowski book and is like, right. I'm going to go to Paris and be a writer. And it's amazing. But, but it, like, I... I'm still trying to figure out how much of this movie that I considered pastiche actually was, and I'm not 100% sure. Um, but it, it's really funny, all of it. You know, I mean, he's a tease. Peter Coyote's whole dialogue, like, it's all full of, like, ludicrous over-explanation of sexual terms and, you know, lewd descriptions and stuff. Um, but, you know, he does read it. It's like it's, he's a writer, but he's, he's not really good at writing. But he's good at just like he, he's he's rehearsed this. He's going through it. And he's got this captive audience of uh, a floppy haired Englishman who just doesn't want to leave because he is, of course, slightly interested in the topic, although he would never admit it, which is, you know, yeah. key to the whole the whole film. Um, but, yeah, it's it's really, I mean, really quite an entertaining movie. Yeah, I, I think. You mentioned Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, but, uh, <clears throat> sorry, uh, the Liz Taylor and, uh, Richard Burton movie, uh, Boom, that's another, that reminds me of this. Uh, oh, fucking, yeah. It's got showgirls in it. It's got it all. Like, it just takes everything to a degree of high camp. That's that you're, is, you're like, the Liz Taylor and Richard Burton movie. I'm like, you mean Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? No, no, the other one. The, the yeah, other, the other Tennessee yeah. Williams movie. <laughs> <laughs> the other one. But yeah, I mean, this this is like, it's cut from the same cloth. And then I, more contemporarily, I'd say, yeah, Showgirls is another good example. But it's like, you can't, uh, is it shitty writing? Is it like sexiness that turns into high camp? I don't fucking know if it's intentional or not. And I don't give a shit. It's amazing. And sometimes it's both simultaneously. Like, just watching uh, fucking... Uh, Roman Polanski's wife like dump milk down her face <laughs> erotically. It's like that's kind of hot and kind of weird and kind of dumb and kind of funny all at the same time. And why not? 
You can be all those things. What really disturbed me about that scene is I'm not even sure if it was milk. It felt no, like, it looked it, like paint. What yeah, is no, she it's, milking? You're right. It's just like, is this like extra high cream milk? Like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, what's wrong? It makes the whole thing deeply <laughs> yeah, listen, disturbing. My parents didn't love me. And despite being raised in the Midwest, they bought skim milk. So I don't even know what real milk is at this point. Uh, it's, it's not, not whatever that is. so sick as that, I would say, uh, generally. No. But, um... Yeah, I don't know. I, I think I'm a little more down on this movie than either of you. I, I don't dislike it by any means, but I just, uh, again, it's hard not to go like, I enjoy spending time with Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton in uh, both of those films. And in this, uh, you kind of want to cave in Peter Coyote's skull with a hammer. <laughs> like, like, he's just the biggest son of a bitch. And and again, yeah, that, that purple prose is just so fucking <laughs> grating at times. It is funny, but it's also like two hours and 15 minutes. And I think by about 90, I was like, all right, that's enough oh, yeah. of this and, shit. <laughs> and he's not even a struggling writer. That's like right off the bat. He's like, so I've got a massive trust fund. Yes. So I get to be a, a, a man who's almost 40 and doesn't have to actually work. And all I do is write books that no one wants to publish because I fucking suck. Also, it's I like awesome. how he's the same age as I am, apparently, and he looks like he's about 75 years old. Well, yeah, that, yeah and, and that's, that. yeah, because he's like, I'm pushing 40, because he's like fucking 37, 38 in this movie. And then, but then if you look, like, Peter Coyote's like in his fucking 50s when he played this character. <laughs> so. It looks every fucking minute of it. Yeah, I was like, oh shit, well, you know, you, you stay in France for 10 years drinking red wine and smoking unfiltered cigarettes, it'll age you. Yeah, 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 I suppose that's possible. I don't know. It's uh it's a movie that feels especially uh nasty coming from Polanski. Like it's a big middle finger to make something like this, especially yeah. with your yeah, a very young new wife uh who you're parading around naked the entire time. Um yeah, it, it it's something that I I maybe struggled a little bit to Fully get on board with what, what Roman was selling this time around, but uh, I don't think it's a, it's an uninteresting film. It's, it's quite entertaining, certainly, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, you, yeah, you, so at, at some point you get to what's the point when uh, the point seems to be that Peter Coyote is trying to uh, cuck a man even though he doesn't have a working penis. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I suppose there is there is a, a somewhat upsetting metatextual reading of the film as being Polanski making fun of Americans and the English as being, you know, kind of uptight and and kind of not engaged with their feelings, based which based on the reason America is actually mad at Roman Polanski is not really probably an argument he should be making. Um, yeah. <laughs> but but it's Roman Polanski who I think I think it's pretty much you know I mean it does, he doesn't really feel like he did much wrong and at this point it's kind of like well you know who's gonna do anything about it now. So, uh, yeah, yeah. This is Roman Polanski's, like, OJ, if I did it moment. Yeah. <laughs> a little, a not, little not bit. Not the most tasteful. <laughs> Honestly does have a little bit of that energy to it. And then, and, you know, so I kind of, I do feel bad when I have to acknowledge, like, this movie is, it's just really fucking funny. It's, it's got, it's got gags, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, it's got spoofs and goofs. But, uh, yeah, little unsavory once you peel back the curtain a little and uh, think about what old Roman's been up to. Yeah, somehow for me, probably the most uncomfortable watch of these three films. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good yeah, trio. You know, it's, 
it's good. If if you are a, a a young person getting into cinema, I would recommend uh, watch all of Roman Polanski's movies and then read about Roman Polanski after the fact. That'll probably do you better than because boy, this is yeah. You can't help but think about the man when you're watching this that it doesn't feel great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, most of the time you can you can separate such things, which is probably why I it's easier for me to hang on to roman polanski's work than it is for woody allen because every woody allen feels like this where it's just like direct <laughs> directly confronting you with everything you don't like about woody allen is the fucking text of half of his fucking movie it, yeah, yeah there, there is an element to woody allen of like that everyone is like me and it's like no not really uh, <laughs> but <laughs> sadly also is great jokes so what are, you, what are you gonna do yeah yeah no, no that's 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 a rough one well, you know, that's I haven't I haven't seen Manhattan in probably ten years. I don't think I, I have think to watch that it might be a time. rough one to revisit. Uh, I mean, if, that, you, if you give it, give it another one. four or five years, and you can date it, yeah, I'd be of legal age, <laughs> Le- like legal age in the United States or legal age for the Woodman. That's different. I don't think these people really care. At a certain they point, you know, yeah. you yeah. gotta yeah. flaunt it and just you know ride the wave. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well. Uh, enough about uh, child sexual predators. Uh, I guess that about wraps things up for this week. What a, a hell of an episode. I love this. This is like someone paid $25 to try and get Adam Myros canceled. I fucking love it. Uh, keep paying. Make him watch more terrible things. Uh, but no, this is actually, this is a solid week. Like, again, the, the patrons are bringing it because uh, all, all good movies, all worth talking about. Yeah, uh, for sure. A lot better than some of the trash I fucking pick out of the garbage. Can't wait for stuff. the rest of November, which is just yeah. us running on our own fumes. Yeah, I'm pretty That's sure right. I can our guarantee this will be better fumes. than uh, at least two of the four episodes we do for for our uh, <laughs> horny month here. Yeah, horny month slash hornocopia slash horny of plenty slash horn of horny slash jizz month. Is that it? Could be jizz month. month. It's covering. Month. Yeah, I think that's covering okay. everything. Okay. Uh, but yeah, uh, Maros, what are you putting over this week? Oh, wait, I got another one. Yes, Nut November? Yes, Nut November! <laughs> <laughs> Put it in the poll, baby! <laughs> um, what am I putting over? Well, coincidentally, for, for uh, class, I watched something that fits quite nicely alongside these films uh, as a, a very problematic and interesting film. Uh the the very depraved uh william friedkin film cruising uh which is approximately 50 percent incredible and 50 percent uh wrong-headed madness but uh uh your mileage may vary but i don't know the back half of that film uh yeah once you once you get uh a pacino huffing poppers in a biker bar while another man is being fisted uh just meters away uh the movie from there really just hits the gas and it's doing some incredibly interesting stuff with with uh the notion of bdsm and how it applies not just to some select uh subgroup of perverts but uh, how how that structure is is really permeates all of american society and it's uh yeah, it's not a perfect film, certainly, and uh, it's not a sensitive film, certainly, but it is a pretty vital, interesting one. Uh, poppers with Pacino, that's like a bucket list thing for me, maybe yeah. one day. Jack, how about you? What are you putting over this week? 
I'm going to put over, uh, I've been trying to catch up with uh, like a bunch of like vinegar syndrome slashers that I've just amassed. So I'm going to put over Terror at 10 Killer, which anyone who knows anything about slasher movies generally probably knows it's not a, it's not a very well liked movie and not an easy one to see for a long time and in decent quality. So it's a stupendous and ridiculous that it is now available on fucking 4K thanks to vinegar syndrome. But uh, really oddball slasher movie and what i will say it is it's a terrible slasher movie it's it's it if you want a slasher movie you won't like it it's bad but what it is is this weirdly uh oddly paced it's not it doesn't adhere to a traditional pacing at all um kind of tale of two girls who go on a vacation just kind of hang out and talk out kind of problems and situations faced by women um in the context of a vacation and one of them has an abusive boyfriend they're worried about who they think the very there's not many killings in this movie. One of the reasons why it's not a great slasher, but they assume it's her abusive boyfriend. But it turns out no, it's just another guy. Uh, this is this ubiquitous male violence in the world that they they kind of bounce up against routinely. I was not surprised to learn that the film was uh, written by a woman. It's directed by Ken Mayer, but I think it's a Wendy Mayer is the is the writer. So um, it's it's just a really strange movie, but I kind of loved it because it's it's. A kind of a bizarre world female-led slasher. Uh, it's so strange. So yeah, Terror at Ten Killer. Give like don't go in expecting a slasher movie. Just go in expecting one of those strange movies, like regional American movies that only came about because a couple of people got a mad notion. Like it's shot in Oklahoma somewhere. Um, it's it's wild. And and honestly, I'm kind of I kind of love that Vinegar Syndrome gave it the luxurious treatment it's 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 something odd and unique i have bad oh, news yeah, jack I... uh turns out wendy mayer is uh joe damato's pseudonym <laughs> <laughs> i wouldn't be surprised anything is possible yeah i uh i have the same giant stack of unwatched lavish vinegar syndrome sets for trashy slasher movies that everyone forgot about but you know my thing is with vinegar syndrome will i ever catch up Probably not. But why do I do the the yearly subscription? It makes me feel like a patron of the arts. I'm not really like, <laughs> I'm not paying for things to actually watch. I'm funding just beautiful restorations of degenerate trash. And that's something that means a lot to me. So, uh, yeah, I, that's that's a great one. I, I still have that one in the shrink wrap, so maybe I should fucking open yeah, it up. Yeah, pop that it. one on tonight, but uh, may not if you're feeling sleepy, because uh, like I say, I, there's a lot of interesting points to it, but some of those scenes, they do ramble. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's okay. I, uh, I, I got a new like, uh, like weed chocolate bar thing, but normally it's like each one of the little squares, because it's, it's shaped like a, like a Hershey bar, right? And each one of the Hershey bar squares is normally like five milligrams, but this is like it's like 20 milligram per square. So I think I'm just going to get high off my ass and then I'll just kind of zone out to a slasher movie. That sounds great. That That's sounds perfect. Over. Hey kids, I'm putting over weed. No, I'm, uh, I'm actually putting over Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, which fucking rocks. You ever seen Adam and Costello, or Adam, Abbott and Costello, uh, meet Frankenstein. Yeah, it's really good. Seen that one? It's real it's, good. Fun movie. It's, it's fun. It's, it's fucking hilarious. And it's like, I don't know. It's it's got Bella Lugosi like right before he did too much heroin to function. Uh, it's got a great Lon Chaney Jr. performance. Uh, it's got some jabroni playing Frankenstein because Karloff couldn't be bothered. Uh, but yeah, it's it's genuinely hilarious. 
And also funny, considering at the time, like Abbott and Costello were insufferable pricks that no one wanted to work with, and everybody thought they were past their prime. And then they just put out this movie, and it was amazing. So uh, watch it. It's streaming for free on Amazon right now, I think, and probably you can get it anywhere. This is like a real dollar store DVD special. Just fucking get it, man. It's good. Other than that, if you listen to this episode right now, there's a link in the description. There's actually two links in the description. Uh, one is a link if you want to donate uh, Palestinian aid relief. There is a, uh, a, a link for that. And if you want to donate to our Patreon, which is significantly less important, but you know, um, you can do that too. And why would you want to donate to our Patreon? That's a great question. And uh, the answer is because podcasts cost money and we need money to do stuff and things. Sometimes we got to replace a microphone. We got to pay for hosting. There's all kinds of bullshit. Uh, we have to pay for Adam Myros's uh, uh, just lavish, hardcore, anti-Semitic pornography collection that he has in his closet, right? Well, I do support Palestine. <laughs> so anyways, we, we need money to do things. And how do we do it? We can only do it with you, dear patrons. So uh, if you donate at any amount whatsoever, then you get access to the Optimism Vaccine uh, patron feed. There's all kinds of exclusive written and podcast content there for you. New stuff coming whenever we get around to making it come. Uh, that, that wasn't, that, that's a sex joke too there. Uh, but yeah, anyways, give us money. We'll give you stuff. In addition to that, if you live in the continental United States, I will send you a movie from my personal collection. Maybe one of these vinegar syndrome things that's piling up over here that I, I don't need. I, that could be yours. Who knows? Anything is possible. Now, if you donate at a higher level, then you get to donate or you get to uh, vote in our patron polls and also get your name read out on the air. How exciting for you. Myros, who are our five and above patrons this week? Oh, I got another pitch. Fucks giving. Fucks giving? Yeah. I, I got to start writing these down. We're going to put. Yes, this is going to be a long tw Twitter only. Does Patreon have a limit on how many poll choices? Because Twitter's only got four if we're going oh, that route. Oh, and yeah. Adam's just like going through them. Uh, yeah, wow. I don't know. Well, that, maybe we'll, we'll let the patrons decide. We'll just let the, because I don't think Patreon has a has a limit. So yeah, we'll just let the patrons Well, decide. they'll probably all vote for something different, and, and we'll just keep doing this the rest of the month. Uh, anyhow, <laughs> the patrons who have donated at the level where they get their name read are David, CWW, Evan, Ryan, Dustin, and Paula. And again, special thanks to Evan for uh, selecting this episode. Yeah a hell of a spread buddy appreciate it appreciate it uh but yeah 25 and above you can you can be just like evan and you can choose an entire episode of whatever uh fun or interesting or vile smut you choose the options are they're, they're endless so really it's up to you uh but yeah i think that about wraps things up for this week so we'll be back again for more yes nut november fucks giving Hornicopia, horny of plenty, horny of horny. No horn of horny, Steve. Fuckatopia. We'll be back next week.